This episode of The Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Concept2 and the Concept2 Skierg. Concept2 is the designer and manufacturer of the Skierg, a training tool for Nordic skiing and for general fitness. Located in north central Vermont, the Concept2 family rose in summer and skis in winter. The Skierg grew out of the time-tested design of the Concept2 rowing machine. As dedicated skiers, we know this much is true. It's not always easy to get out on the snow in winter, or out on the roller skis, for that matter, in summer. The Skierg is a perfect dry land training option for skiers, or anybody really, looking to improve their fitness. The second generation Skierg allows for single stick and double pulling. Take your skiing and upper body conditioning to a new level with a Skierg. You can find more information about Skiergs and their PM5 performance monitors at concept2.com. This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. In this episode, we tackle three time zones. We connect with Devin, who is in Oslo. We also have special guests that we're thrilled about, Keegan Randall, who grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, but we connected with where she is living in Penticton, British Columbia. She is a world champion, an Olympic champion, and really needs no introduction. So we end up discussing the upcoming world championships, which start with a classic sprint on Thursday and chatting about her respective career and Devin's career. Keekster. Hey, how's it going? Uh, we're we're surviving. We're thriving. Yeah, we're exactly. all we're all together. How are you doing? Good morning. Good morning, everybody on the Pacific side of North America. Yes, and good evening to you. Yeah, good evening. It's a, it's a good evening. Just doing my uh, standard in the heat bag productions that we've got going on over here. I'm driving back from some school. The lockdowns lifted a little bit, and in, in um, Oslo, it's been I've been doing like just smashing Zoom school for the last five weeks. So had uh had some classes today which is which is nice back um getting off my butt in front of the computer i don't know keekin's been doing that i've seen some socials seen some stuff on the socials of keekin staring into a screen while she smashes out some education there in penticton as well so oh, yes it's a lot of does, screen time these days <laughs> yeah and, and parenting i'm parent yeah we're both got that going but like yeah she, you don't have the you don't have the luxury i i complain about the commute to to the university in oslo but Keegan's got a little bit longer commute from Penticton, British Columbia, up to Anchorage if she wants to sit in classes at APU. <laughs> yeah, and a few uh, government travel restrictions in the way as well. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that hinders things, most certainly. <laughs> but you guys are in good places. I, you know, all politics aside, being in Norway or Canada right now seems like very enticing to me for the past 12 months. Especially British Columbia, I would say. Not all Canada is the same, but British Columbia seems to have done a, a fairly good job. I don't know what Keegan has to say about that, but from, oh, we done it. from my We've perspective. We've done a great job of, of, I would say, like mitigating. Like cases have been a lot lower here compared to other places. And life in the Okanagan in particular has felt pretty dang normal. But uh, vaccines are really slow to roll out. So that's kind of one of the downsides. Hey, did you do the 50K Berkey, Keegan, just to start there? Are you coming off a hard effort yesterday or Sunday or Sunday or something? Yes, Sunday I did 50K. How was it? Hard. <laughs> Very hard. Um, I uh, The ski venue is at 1,800 meters, um, and it was a bit windy out there, so the conditions weren't the fastest. And I managed to get about 400 meters more of climbing in on my course than the, than the Berkey course. So no wonder it felt hard, but it was, it was awesome. It was great to just go out there for three and a half hours and feel that kind of hurt again. Did you have someone prep your skis or are you like now lowly like the rest of us and you had to do it yourself? No, I was a total master blaster. The night before I was like, God, I should put a layer of wax in my skis. So I did the OptiWax glide tape, which is great. It takes five minutes. You just iron it in and brush it out. Um, pretty casual. And then I was, I was out there all by myself. I kind of made a little feed station where I had oh, extra man. bottles of sports drink and I came through about every hour and a half and um, so, yeah, totally self-supported, but I had my bib on, had my race suit on, tried to make it kind of official. Nice. Did you have, did you have a heart rate monitor kick in? 
I did. Yep. So did, it was really so fun. Did you try to I, race? Did you try to race or did you try to just do it? I tried to, I tried to ski at a solid pace. Um, okay. Nice. So yeah, it's funny. Average heart rate wise, I was within one beat of when I did the Berkey last year. Wow. So, no so I think it's pretty solid. And, and last year, I mean, I started with the lead pack and I, I tried to stay up front for at least four or five K. So it was definitely a really hard start last year. And then I kind of faded a little bit from there. So I was, I was happy with the effort on Sunday. So let's roll into, we got some big time racing coming up and you, you folks are the experts. Uh, I'm just the person that helps facilitate the recording and so forth. So I'm going to let you take it from here a bunch, uh, Devin. Sure. Well, I mean, as people know at home, especially anyone that's listening from from the U.S. and Canada and all around the world, although let's not get too ahead of ourselves, we're not we're not syndicated to quite yet here. But but we have Keegan Randall with us, which is just so amazing. Um, I've known Keegan for oh man, too too long. But never it's never too long with Keegan. But we've known each other for a long time, and our careers um, overlap for. Yeah, pretty much the entire way. Keegan got her international debut a little earlier than I did, but we were both at the 2003 World Championships in Val de Fiem, and we were both at the 2005 World Championships in Oberstdorf, Germany, which I think is kind of fun because we're getting back there. And much like we had, I don't know if you remember, Keegan, but like at the World Championships in 2005, we had amazing weather. It was a lot colder than it is now, but, but we also had sun and nice weather, which is just so ridiculously crazy for that part of the world because... I know Keegan and I have both experienced some of the worst weather in cross-country ski history at the venue of Oberstdorf, although right now it doesn't seem to be like that. But for people that don't know, Keegan is the super champ of the world, won three overall World Cup clubs for the sprint discipline. She's Olympic champion, world champion, world championship medalist. She's medaled in more World Cups than I probably started, so... Um, it's always great to catch up with, with you, Keegan, not just for your palmares, of course, but the fact that sort of things kind of fun about this project is just going to chat with some friends that I don't get to chat with all that much anymore being over here in Norway and you're in, you're in Canada now and I'm not there. So it's, we haven't seen each other in the last little bit, but it'll be fun just to go over, go over, reminisce a little bit and what we, what we remember and, and what we can look forward to seeing here at the world championships. I totally agree, Devin. Thanks for having me on. It's wonderful to reconnect. Um, I think like you can probably appreciate when you, you're so immersed in the ski world until all of a sudden you're not. And then when you get a little bit away from it, you realize how amazing it was to just interface with people every day in the cafeteria, on the bus, out on the course. So it's always great to have a chance now to reconnect with friends and you know, talk about the good old days um, and also be really excited for, you know, what we uh, have coming up this week in Oberstdorf. I think it's it's going to be a great championship. Oh, it sure is. I mean, I'm, I'm just so looking forward to the world championships this year. I mean, I, I've been a dork since day one. So, I mean, I follow, I follow the racing really closely and uh, as you do too, Keegan. And, and, you know, we still have friends in the sport because we're not so far removed. Although our form has dropped significantly, um, we, we definitely – we definitely follow the sport closely. And I, I, I wanted to start, like, my first question for, for you, Keegan, is, like, a special time for me in my whole career, actually, even starting at the World Juniors, was, like, this idea of the pre-camp, the anticipation that builds throughout a season. Of course, like, as a professional athlete, like, you have World Cups that are happening week in, week out, and you have goals for those for those events as well. And, I mean, Keegan's won, uh, Keegan's won World Cup clubs, like I said, so that those World Cups take on a different meaning if you're in that competition, of course. But, but the... But a real shining star of the season is, of course, the championship, and, and none more than this year with COVID-19, which you've seen some great teams that have been out of competition and skip races this side and the other. And the fact that we're having world championships is quite the feat. It's, it's actually pretty unbelievable. If you'd asked me in October, is this going to happen? I, I would have been a little skeptical. So the fact that they pulled it off was good. But it was always such a special time for me, that pre-camp, that anticipation being with your ski family, with your teammates, Keegan being American, me being Canadian, that takes on a different meaning since we spend all year in, in Europe. But um, can you give us a, like a bit of an anecdote or like what was what was your best pre-camp? And it was that ever something that took on meaning for you like it did for me? I would say throughout my entire career that pre-camp was always, I agree, a very special experience. You know, I think how I perceived it really changed throughout my career. 
when I think about those first world championship or Olympic starts, um, just getting invited to the pre-camp felt like an amazing honor. And I felt like this kid kind of watching all my heroes essentially like prepare for a championship, knowing that I was there to get experience. I probably was not going to be competing for a medal. So it was just kind of cool to be there and learn. And I was still trying to find my best performance of the season, but I was very much in a, in a learning and a observation mode. And, um, Prior to the 2002 Olympics, uh, we got to go up to a place called Daniel's Summit. And uh, I, had, I was fresh off of World Juniors. Uh, it was my first Olympic team. Um, and we were preparing for the Olympics, you know, on home turf. And so I just, I remember being so giddy that whole time. And then another favorite memory was leading into the 2013 World Championships. Uh, we were mid-season. The team was feeling a little bit beat up from being on the road but we were excited for the championships. We were in Lesaize, France, and someone came up with the idea of let's make a music video. And <laughs> it was a little bit of a wild idea at first, took a little convincing, but Jesse Diggins came up with a little dance for us and pretty soon everybody started contributing ideas. And so we trained hard for that camp, but we also kind of had that nice little distraction and put together a video um, it came together like on the eve of the championships and it just gave us this huge positive boost. And I love that every time I hear that Taylor Swift song, um, every time I watch that video, it's like a time capsule back to that amazing camp experience. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. I, it's hilarious. Eh? Like all the, all the, like what can be viewed as like, well, not silly because it is just part of your life and to take anything away from the, not the pressure. I mean, of course you feel pressure going into championships everyone has high goals you've trained so hard like you just said Keegan like it is the it, it is the the main goal of every season that you want to come into the championships in your in your best form of that year um but to be able to to get out of that bubble and have fun with your teammates like you guys did with that not just that music video but the, that definitely like started like quite the there was a bit of a run there with uh quite a quite a number of amazing music videos you guys put together and I think uh thinking back to those and, and just like picturing coffee, uh, get out of his comfort zone like that. <laughs> There's two big, I have two, I have two great memories of, of Bill Hoffman. Um, so I've got more than that, but I mean, but, but seeing him in those music videos is definitely one. And the other one is seeing him in the, the 50 K at, at home and colon with like gels, like taped all, all over himself. And they were swinging around and we called them jingle gels for the rest of that season. So no, but there is a, uh, there's definitely um, something to be said about having fun. I know we, we would go uh, schlittling or like sledding on those like Davos sleds, you know, like those wood yeah. sleds with like the metal runners and take the lift up and like blast down with those schlittles and, and that kind of thing. We've even had fun times in the past where, we, where we'd uh, ski up from Davos up to Surtig, which is, I don't know how long you think that would take from the cool, uh, not that long, maybe like an hour and a half. Anyways, you ski down the valley and then up this beautiful double track classic trail to this isolated hotel in the back of this valley at about, it's probably about 1800 meters up in there as well. Like just a beautiful evening. And we'd go there in the evening and the coach would drive. Uh, we'd shower there and then have like a cheese fondue dinner and have dinner up there. And like, like have some experiences like that because like everyone's, everyone's focused enough where you're stressed enough, but you're doing a lot of good skiing and it's about, it's about having that good camaraderie between you and your teammates going in and having that good energy, like you're saying, Keegan, going into the, going into the world championships. It's, it's all, it's, it's so important. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what the Canadian, what the Canadian team has done for their prep coming into Oberstdorf here, but the, the photos I saw coming from Davos this past week with the U S team looked like it was a pretty productive and uh, beautiful camp there. <laughs> it was a little oh, jealous. It looked awesome. Oh, how jealous. <laughs> Keegan, you got to, you know, I can't say that because you're from Alaska, but like when you live in Scandinavia and you've had like over a week with no sun whatsoever and you're seeing all those pictures of Davos and I've spent more time in my life, I've probably spent over a year of my life in Davos. That's because that was kind of the Canadian team's base really for a lot of yeah. my career. Uh, and seeing those pictures, I'm just like, oh my God, I could go for the Alps and some sun and some nice long skis up Dishmans or Dagen and catching some rays. Uh, no question. So I'm right there with you with the jealousy there. I definitely missed that part. So I, I want to ask you guys a question. So as your careers evolved and you became sort of like metal, you know, serious metal contenders in your respective events, what was the, if you can kind of set up contextually what a world championship might be for 
a contending athlete, uh, you know, compared to say just a regular uh, World Cup? You know, what changes um, just in the atmosphere and also personally for you folks, what was changing? How did you zero in or was zeroing in for you, you know, Keegan or Devin kind of opening up and finding distractions or going further into a place where like you were just myopic about the racing? Yeah, I Keegan, you want to go first or Devin? Yeah, sure. Sorry. Of course, of course I jumped in. That's not, that's not a shock for anybody. <laughs> this before. Uh, I'll try and keep it a little tighter though. No, but for, for sure. I mean, like I was never, I, I have no individual medals and Keegan has far more medals than me at, at the world championships, but it's a funny thing. I remember like Vancouver before the, in, uh, in Oslo the year after in 2011, for example, like it, it was, it was always just so important for me to, and not just me, but like our team to create an environment where you just had like a lot of fun. So I, I, we would always, or it was very standard in Canada in my time to, to prepare at altitude for a championship. And that that's good in, in the way that you just, you know, not to ski fast. And when you're not skiing fast, but you're, we were training decent amount of hours, you know, like in the, in the weeks leading up, uh, and it'd be training out, you know, like four, four hours or four to five hours of skiing a day kind of thing, but you're in a beautiful place. You're at altitude. So you have to slow down. And I think I would just like, this is going to sound like super hippie, but you really kind of connect with nature and like the beauty of what it is to be cross country skiing in a beautiful place. That's fairly isolated. If you're up at altitude, you know, like before the Olympics in 2010, we were up in Engadine, the Engadine lodge, which is up on the spray spray lakes road, just above Camor there. And I mean, it's a dirt road and there's nothing happening up there whatsoever, but, you know, like sharing meals, hearing great stories at that time, we had the, the late Inga Broughton as our coach that would just like, had just the most amazing stories of when he worked with the Swedes or how, when he worked with Bjorn Dolly and Vegard Albang and, and, and we'd go out skiing together and also skiing alone in a really beautiful place that felt really isolated. And it was just like a real way to like center yourself and connect um, with your teammates. But also, I don't know, I, it was like a calm before the storm. That, that's how I, would describe it and I always love that feeling I always love that feeling of like letting your shoulders like you have one job it's just like put in some good easy skiing and you know to do it well because the altitude like I said you don't want to mess up the championship by skiing too fast in your easy days and and um yeah I don't know it always it always gave me a lot of energy going in going into a championship and I felt ready and it also when you do that a few times and it works um you you definitely take in confidence into those championships too and you go into them going like I, I had that like hippie moment. I feel centered. I love, I love skiing. I had a great time with my team and now we descend into a championship and it's go time. And that, that was when it worked for our team, when we, when we were in that place and it happened organically, results happened from that. And when we, when we let it get to us a little bit, like no question, I mean, anyone on our team would agree to this, but like in 2014, like we let it get to us completely. And what can I say? We fucked it up and we, we, we weren't in that good place we had too much pressure on our shoulders and we didn't, I, I personally didn't allow myself to just like totally unplug and, and enjoy the place where I'm at. I'll, I'll like, he can take it from there, but yeah, like it, when it works, it works great. Yeah. It's, um, for me, the, the big difference about a, a world championships is that it is the one point in the year when, you know, all the best athletes in the world are trying to be at their absolute best. With the World Cup, you have goals all over the place. Sometimes you have people who are trying to chase after the overall World Cup. So they're trying to, you know, they're peaking to start the season and they're trying to maintain that as hard as they can. Some people are, uh, you know, maybe have, are carrying a heavy load into the season. So you can't always judge off their World Cup results, how they're going to perform at a championship. But the championships, you know, everyone's going to be on point. And because of that, it holds the prestige of you want to be at your peak um, to contend for those medals, because if you can win a world championship medal, you know, yes, it's one day, but it's that day is when the best of the best were trying to be their best. So it always carried that kind of extra um, motivation leading into that point in the season. Um, for me, the last couple of weeks coming in, I would, you know, it always be overanalyzing everything I was doing. You know, you never quite feel prepared. Um, but kind of to what Devin said, I think when we did it right, you could just kind of relax and go through the process a little bit. Um, and essentially by that point in the season, you've done most of the work. So all you're trying to do is kind of let all that work kind of come through and fine tune. And the times when I didn't do it well, where I also let the pressure creep in a little bit too much, um, you know, it's like, I, I almost got too focused. 
a little too deliberate and, uh, and kind of lost a little bit of that fun element. So, you know, it's a balance and, you know, every venue you're in provides its own unique challenges. But um, I think what's what a lot of outsiders of the sport wouldn't realize is how, how much of a prize world championships is um, for all the people involved in Nordic. Like, you know, the Olympics gets the most attention every four years, but in many countries, world championship medals are almost as, you know, almost more important because you know, you know, every other year you're trying to be the best in the world. For sure. And that perspective, piggybacking on that perspective, Keith, is like here in, here in Norway, if, like if you're a world championship gold medalist or an Olympic gold medalist, it's individually, it's, it's the same. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's regarded at that. It's regarded at that highest, yeah, the highest tier of sport. Absolutely. Before we get into the nitty gritty of the racing, I, I am kind of curious, you know, um, speaking of kind of the pressure and you alluded to this kicking a little bit, like, you know, you're, you're on, you need to be on, everyone else is on and you're peaking for, for this event. And it's once every two years. Um, as you, you know, I, I was going to sort of just became, you knew you were going to retire, you know, after the 2018 Olympics and you only have so many world champ or Olympic events left. Um, how did you emotionally deal with, if you had a bad race in a world champs, knowing that, you know, maybe it was your next to last time at world champs or your last time at world champs for that matter. And we all know kind of the storybook ending for the 2018 Olympics, but I'm just curious from your perspective, like how did you handle those disappointments when it was like, that was my last opportunity or, or it might be your last opportunity if that makes sense. Yeah, well, um, the kind of unique thing for me, because I had a very specific strength, and that was skate sprints. Um, and as you know, the world championship program flip flops, and it flip flops around the Olympic program as well. So I would only get a chance at a world championship skate sprint, kind of every every other world championship. And sometimes it felt like yeah, that chance wasn't going to be again for a while. So particularly when I started to get into my last um, few years as, a, as an athlete, knowing I was going to retire, you know, the 20, um, let's see, 20, I'm, I'm, uh, 2013 was a classic sprint. 2015 was a classic sprint. Then we had the, uh, we had the skate sprint in Sochi in between that for me, that was kind of my last big chance at the Olympic skate sprint. And then had to wait all the way until 2017 to have one more chance at a skate sprint, uh, which ended up working out great. Like that was the season I came back after having my son. And the season really had been kind of frustrating up to that point. But thankfully, um, that time, everything came together for the championships and I uh, got to, you know, won a bronze medal in the skate sprint. And that was exciting. And that was like, by that point, it was all kind of icing on the cake. Like I wanted to deliver, but right then my, my real vision was peaking for the 2018 Olympic games. And um, towards the end, I really just tried to, I started to realize that it, while I wanted to deliver on those performances at the races I had targeted, as long as I came in with, you know, knowing I had given my all in my preparation and knowing I'd given my all on that race day, um, I could almost appreciate the experience a little bit more taking it in for the whole, the whole process around it, as opposed to being so focused on just the result and rating, rating whether it was a success or a failure purely on a result. Um, you know, I compare that to like the 2011 world championships in Oslo, where I won the two world cups leading into that championship. So everyone was saying, Oh, you're a medal favorite, you know, skate sprint and, I was so focused on that and I ended up getting tangled with a Swedish skier in the quarterfinals falling and not even advancing out of the quarters. And so then the rest of that championship, I mean, I really tried to reset and kind of focus on the next races, but that was, that was a huge blow and it, and it took a while to work back from that. Yeah. Can I just piggyback on, on that sort of blow um, in 2011? Like, Looking back on that event in 2011, where you're obviously, um, you know, a favorite, people are building it up. Um, I'm imagining there was like a lot of buzz from the U.S. ski team. Um, how did you process that? You know, from a, it's a one-off event. 
you fell, you know, you were out in the quarters, um, life goes on. Like what, what was that? How did you work through that? And how were you informed as you matured? Um, well, I just, you know, you really have to learn as you go through it. And I just really had to do a lot of work on kind of my own self-talk in my head of reminding myself that, you know, it's, you set these goals, you give everything you have. Um, sometimes there are things unpredictable outside of your control. And, uh, you know, it really comes down to the effort. And, you know, I know I put myself in a position to win. I knew I believed I could, I belonged there. I set, you know, I did everything in my preparation to set that up. But at the end of the day, there was something kind of out of my control that happened. So I just kind of, kind of kept drilling down on myself to feel good about um, coming in and then saying like, okay, well that, that race is done, but we have the team sprint, we have the relay, um, you know, there'll be world cups after the championships. So to just kind of try to try to learn and, and put that behind me and reset for the next one. And, um, you know, having gone through that in 2011 was probably helpful for when I experienced the same thing at the Sochi Olympics in 2014. Devin, you want to answer any of that stuff about just like, you know, working through maybe disappointment or anything like that? Yeah, I think I've, I mean, what Keegan's saying is absolute gold. And that, that's what I hope the young athletes that are listening to this podcast can really take with them and then, and then make happen. And uh, that was, I mean, there's no question that was something I was bad at. I mean, uh, Alex and Keegan were, were masters at that. And, and it showed, it just showed at the championships when they'd show up. I mean, I, I remember Keegan in, in 2017, um, the last few years of Keegan's career, like she said, that we were like, there was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of races that she was racing way below where she wanted to be and where way below anyone would have quote unquote expected her to be. And the fact that she comes in to the world championships in 2017 and is able to, to throw down a race like she did to, to, to win that bronze medal. Like I get goosebumps thinking about that. That was, that was so clutch. And then, and then I've got a great, I have a question for the, the next season, but um, before I get to that, I, you know, I, I was just never, uh, yeah, I, I struggled with that. I always, I always had, a, I always had a hard time to put tough performances behind me. And I think I've talked a little bit about it in the past, but that, that idea of self-talk, like Keegan was talking about and using the skills that you have and, and the people and experts around you to help you, um, uh, be a true student of, of those skills because those are important. That is what separates a champion from someone that's just kind of good. And, and I, I, I was, I, I was and continue to be too too hard on myself, and and I would really struggle after after um, missed performances. And I think you know, I, I get sick a lot of championships, and I, I think it was just like yeah, overstimulated, man. Like just too amped and too focused. Like Keegan was saying, in the times that I was sick in championships and missed my peak, or or just didn't have that good start like I wanted, like Keegan was alluding to in 2011, if I had championships where the early races just didn't go as I, I wanted or I wasn't expecting. Like, I had a really hard time putting those to bed. I really, really did at the championship. So it's, uh, it's a great perspective by Keegan. You were going to, Devin, were you going to ask her about uh, 2018? Yeah, okay, yeah. Sorry. so I, I have something, I've always been curious about this because this is something I haven't really talked about it too, too much, but uh, <clears throat> myself, but so that 2018 season, like going in, of course, everyone knows the team sprint is, is in skating. You guys won the world championships in, in 2013. I'm in Valdez, you and Jesse. Uh, Jesse was in great shape as she as she's continued to be every single season, the last few seasons here. Um, but that season as well, Keegan, like Sadie was in amazing shape. Uh, she usually is as well early season. I mean, like Sadie has been a period one super champ. Uh, she didn't go to period one this season, I, I know, but the last few years. And how, how did you guys balance that on your team? And how did you balance that? And were you, did you ever have any doubt about whether or not you could get yourself on that team, for example, which, which only a few years earlier would be a non-sequitur, it would be a non-starter. It's like, of course, it's Keegan and Jesse. That's just how it is. But in 2018, I mean, for sure, in, after period one, you must have had some thoughts like, holy shit, like Sadie is beasting right now. And... I need, I, I, maybe this isn't quite as a lock as I thought. And I mean, we all know the history, the rest is history. You skied fantastic. It was awesome. And there's no question. It was the best decision. That's, that's obvious. But um, how did, how did, did you ever struggle with that in that season? Because like you said, 2017, you had some struggles on the world cup, not at the championship, but 2018 also started with some struggles on the world cup as well. And, and uh, yeah, I was just curious to hear your uh, 
small story about that because I've always been curious about it. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a great question, and it and it's kind of cool to to pull back the curtain because what you saw unfold on February twenty first, twenty eighteen, you know, there's there's a whole backstory to it. So for me, it it really started. Um, kind of pre 2014, when our team started to really form. And our coach, Matt Wickham at the time kind of proposed this preposterous idea of someday we're going to compete in relays, and it's going to be really hard to choose who gets on the relay. And knowing that that could be our circumstance, you know, what are we going to do as a team to kind of prepare and, and have everybody buy into the goal, so that, you know, we know everybody wants to be on those teams. We know everybody's going to give it their best, but we're going to do it in a really healthy, supportive way so that, you know, if you get named to that team, you can be really proud of that opportunity to represent. But if you don't get named, you can also feel really proud about the effort you gave to contribute to the team. And, uh, and we really tried to make this inclusive feeling of whether you were on the relay that day or not, whatever result we had was a result for the team. And we even extended that into individual races as well. And so that's, that had always been at the back of my mind. And early on in the team process, it was really easy to be like, yeah, cool. Awesome. Um, you know, I'm, the, I'm kind of the strongest. I'm the leader. So yeah, that's good for us to think about. And then in 2015, I got my first real dose of reality when uh, I was struggling that season and coming into the world championships in Falun, where it was a skate team sprint. Um, I did not get chosen for the team. They decided to go with Sophie Caldwell and Jesse Diggins. So that was really hard. That was my first time of really having to kind of see the other side and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to cheer my heart out for my teammates and, you know, feel proud about the effort, even though I'm not on the snow. And so I had that experience kind of in my back pocket. Um, you know, I, I take a season off in 2016. I come back in 2017. It's a bit of a struggle. Meanwhile, my teammates have all really propelled forward and are skiing amazing. Like you said, um, coming into the 2018 season, um, my confidence was pretty high because training had been going well. And my first period of World Cup actually was was fantastic. I, um, I kind of built momentum over those first couple races. Um, I was on the podium in the sprint in Davos. Um, I had a really solid 10K the next day, but I started to develop a pain in my foot. And I tried to just take a couple days off, but the pain wouldn't go away. We got an MRI and I had the uh, I was on my way to a stress fracture in my foot. So I had to skip the, the World Cup in Toblock before Christmas. I spent most of the Christmas break um, in the pool on the spin bike, double pulling, tried to come back for tour to ski. And uh, it was my first race back in three weeks. And I was absolutely terrible. And so then the coaches said, well, you know, he can go back and continue to kind of recover. So in that, um, while my teammates were racing the tour to ski, having fantastic results, showing their performance, I was... Uh, with my dad and my, you know, and Breck in Davos at the pool and just absolutely freaking out, knowing that that opportunity at the team sprint and the four by five, which are the two things I, the whole two reasons I stayed in the sport for four more years was to contribute to those two relays. And I, I could feel it um, not slipping away, but, but very elusive. And so I had to do a lot of mental work over those couple of weeks to one, not give up <laughs> Because um, even though it wasn't looking wasn't looking great with my chances, I just I knew I wanted to end end the season knowing I'd given everything I had. So I just had to kind of stay committed to what I could control, make the best of those pool workouts, remind myself that what I got, you know, being over in Europe and getting to do all that was was just amazing and to enjoy it. And I was fully prepared going into those Pyeongchang Olympics to not get a single start. I mean, I didn't know if I'd get to start any individual races. I didn't know about the relays. And so I was really, really prepared to take advantage of any start I was given, but to also be the most supportive teammate I could and to be, you know, really happy and proud of contributing to the team and whoever was going to be out on that snow. And uh, fortunately for me, my recovery from the foot injury um, came, came around just in time. And every race I did in Pyeongchang got a little bit better. The skiathlon wasn't great, but it showed a little improvement. The 10K was better. I got a spot in the four by five that showed even better. And it was, it was down to 36 hours before that team sprint, before they announced who it was going to be. And, uh, and I knew it could go either way. I knew Sadie was skiing incredibly fast. 
So um, it was pretty wild uh, when it was 10 o'clock at night and Matt Wickham walked into the, into our room in the athlete village and Sadie and I were actually sitting together watching another event on TV. And you could just kind of tell by the look on his face that they had finally come to their decision and kind of held my breath. And in that moment, I, you know, learned that they had decided to go with me. And uh, that was the most incredible news um, I could ever hear that I got one more chance to be on that team. But I know that in that same moment, Sadie was hearing the opposite news. And that's when I got to witness, I think, one of the most powerful shows of team spirit that I've ever seen, because she just immediately turned to me and said, you know, I, I believe in you as much as I believe in myself. What can I do to help? And, you know, that just that was the power of that teamwork we had been building over the course of several years to be ready for that. What we knew was going to be a very tough decision. And I think that's just such a powerful and amazing story. And I think that's something that uh, it's great that you're able to share that because, yeah, that, that is something that perhaps happens, like you said, here and here in the Norwegian team, for example, when everyone's a world champion, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it could go either way. But that, you know, that is not, definitely not something that, that um, throughout history the U.S. has had or, or Canada's had. And, and um, you know, I, I, can, I can attest that that's something I've struggled with. It, like, I struggled with it in my career, of course. Like, you want to be on those teams. You want to get those chances. I mean, there is somebody on the other side of that, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's tough. It's tough to be on either side of that. I'm, absolutely. I'm, no question. It's, it's tough for the other person if, if you get chosen. And it's also tough when, when you don't get chosen or you're just not in good enough shape. <laughs> in my case, you know what I mean? Like, I want to say that it was tough that um, Justin, or sorry, that Babs selected, Justin was gone at that point. Ivan Babakov was the head coach in 2018 when they selected, like, Lenny to be in the team sprint with Alex. But, I mean, like, of course, it was the best decision. Len just came seventh in the individual sprint, and I was, yeah, it is out, like, not, not in form whatsoever. So, but it is still hard to, to get that message, even though you know you're, you're not good enough, and then you, you, you do spin and you support your teammates as best you can, and, and that's easier said than done, no question. So I, I, I have so much respect for, for Sadie in that moment as well. And, and of course, yourself, too, keeping like throughout your career. I mean, you, you, you have really, without this turning into like, uh, we've talked about this in private so many times uh, anyway, so it's not a surprise. But, but like you were just such an integral part of making that U.S. team like a, the, supportive, the supportive, well-functioning team that it had become. And w- when we say that, when you say you have a well-functioning team that's supportive, that doesn't mean that it's just kumbaya every single day. We sit around, have sing-alongs and, and sing kumbaya and say like, we love each other. And, and that's that, like, that's not how it works at the elite level of sport. Everyone has their own goals. And, 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 um, but if you can foster those relationships and have those supporting supportive relationships in place that when, when tough decisions get, get made like Matt and the coaching staff did ahead of that, team sprint you just described in, in Pyeongchang um, that the first place everyone goes to is support that that is an incredibly powerful story and uh, in no small part because of you and, and 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 those around you of course well the other part I'll add to that is is how powerful I witnessed um, the team around me in those days when I then I when I epically failed you know in 2011 when I you know didn't make it out of the quarterfinals to kind of come back around and like Pour, kind of pour some of my energy into my teammates kind of helped me process the disappointment because I realized it wasn't this one chance, you know, fail or fail or not. Um, and in 2014 too, like as soon as I left the media zone getting eliminated in the quarterfinals, I ran over and I found Sophie and I told her everything I could think of about the course. And I said, you know, let me know how I can help you. And in that moment that just, that helped me feel better to pour my energy into my teammates when it wasn't going well for me. Um, and, uh, and I think that played a role um, in, yeah, ultimately when I got a chance, you know, then it gave me that effort knowing my teammates were behind me. But then if I was the one on the sidelines supporting them, uh, it just ended up being this really supportive environment. And you're right, it took work. It wasn't perfect every day. It took, you know, some internal, internal struggle of, of time to really get there. But um, overall, I'm, I'm, when I think back about my career, that's what stands out to me the most, more than any any individual success. That's amazing. And I think also to piggyback on that, or not piggyback, but to add to that, like, I, you know, that that is, <laughs> I, I believe that is a, the sign of a true champion. I mean, 
I'm married to Kristen Stormerstyre, who's a Norwegian cross-country skier for a number of years. And in the years that Kristen was at her absolute best, uh, Mara Bjergen was really struggling. And Mara Bjergen's the best skier that ever lived, no quite hands down. And, and, and you know what? Like what you just, what you just described now, Keegan, is, you know, I've heard, I've heard Mara say that. Those ex- almost those exact words in Norwegian when we've when we've been together or whatever and, and Kristen also has said that like how you don't even use the word gracious but like how how authentically committed to the team and knowing that I may win or lose on any given day but if we're advancing the goals of the team as a whole I will become stronger from that process and the rest is mm-hmm. history with yourself but also with also with Marit. You know what I mean? Like you were there in 2000, you were second in the sprint in 2009 and Mara was, was a shell of herself, of herself. And that had been a couple of years where she'd struggled incredibly. Kristen was winning individual medals in that championship in the break in 2009. And, um, you know, Mara was there to support Kristen and, and the rest of the team and in any way she could. And, and even though it was, it was a continued hell for, for a great champion in that moment for, for Mara. And uh, likewise, the team was able to help bring Mara back to, to the level that she we saw and you had to suffer through. <laughs> you know, all the yeah, females, totally. All, all, all the females had to suffer through, all, all the females had to suffer, suffer through that dominance. But, but it is an interesting perspective. And I think it's, it's great that we're being lived where we got into this topic because that's always been something that's fascinating. And, and again, that's something that I can readily admit. I mean, you know, Lenny is a really good friend of mine, but of course, like Len and I have had we have totally different philosophies, especially at the end of my career where I was like way too hyper-focused and like, yeah, gripping the hockey stick too tight, you know, like wanting it too much. And Len is like a free spirited dude, but you know what? Um, You've got to, you've got to respect that people have, have their own ways of doing things. And, and um, you know, there was times for sure that I struggled to accept that Len had his free, free, free wheeling way of doing things. And for sure, when we get Lenny on this puppy and we start chatting, like he'll say the same about me that I was annoying as fuck when I was like really, really anal. And he knew the best thing, the best thing for me would be just to like relax a bit and, and uh, go fishing three days in a row with him in the evening instead of just going once kind of thing, just to, to relax. And, you know, I, I could have learned a lot in those moments for sure. So it's, uh, it's great to hear those, those stories because there's a lot to learn in there. Yeah, yeah. There is a lot to learn, actually, just from like even someone who's like pedestrian, like myself, thinking about like, you know, how to just handle those situations that you know in the future are going to be perhaps disappointing, and just sort of premeditating and how to set up a culture um, to work through those things more positively before they happen. So I'm just saying, like, that's something that made me think about, like, oh, I'm, you know, I have a couple kids, like yeah how do you navigate maybe disappointment before it occurs for one of the kids or whatever yeah that, that that's those are good lessons thanks again for uh elaborating upon that and i think it's also just super important like he can mention and I, I mentioned too it's like we had a great team dynamic in our team too for, for my my whole career but it's not to say that we we didn't disagree once in a while and it did take work and it did take some it, it, it did take some struggle it did take some Sometimes that were just, that were tough, you know what I mean? With your teammates, you know, like I've never, Kristen would say that the same too. Like I have never been more angry in my whole life. Kristen has never seen me more pissed than, than with Alex Harvey. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And it was all over. He wanted to go to Tiefen Castle earlier than I wanted to. And it just boiled up into this huge thing. And it, it, it doesn't change the fact that, you know, Alex is one of my best friends and, we had a great relationship. We continue to have a great, we still one of my best friends. We talk all the time and, 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 and yet like no one sees that the behind the scenes of that everyone sees like when we have success or when Alex wins something or I win something or Lenny wins something or anyone on the team, we're all like a big happy family, but there is, there is things behind the hood there that if you have a good system in place that you put the work in and you respect each other and you keep swinging back that you keep checking in on that and, and, creating that culture and taking care of that culture, uh, it can withstand little blobs here and there. And actually it's probably good that there are those because if not, then, then you're probably complacent. Okay. We do have some racing coming up on Thursday. We have, uh, I'm just going to run through it. We don't need to hit every race and I'll sort of let you go with this Devin, but we have a classic sprint on Thursday and, uh, followed by a scathlon day, both men and women. 
uh, team sprint skate, 10K individual skate, 15K individual skate, and then the, the relays, and then the mass starts to close it out. So lots of racing coming up in Oberstdorf, Germany. It's going to be warm. Um, Devin, drill down here. Yeah, well, well we're just going to – I think we got in some great stuff, and um, I we're going to hopefully not spend too too much time on this, sadly. <laughs> we'll have to, like, Keegan will just have to come back another time. It's great. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super excited. We can just start with the sprint. I mean, Keegan and I also did a classic sprint in Oberstdorf uh, 18,000 years ago. We got to the course <laughs> with a horse-drawn carriage, and they had, uh, yeah, we were drink, eating pretzels in between. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, it was a classic sprint in 2005. That I'm not kidding about. Um, but the course is a little different. It's going to be a really exciting race. They Fist just came out and said that they moved the start times quite a bit earlier. It's been 17, 18 degrees Celsius. Uh, down in Oberstorf has been crazy warm and the conditions have been majorly bad, like very deep slush. So they're, they're going to try and mitigate that because the sun in that part of the world at this time of the year is fairly strong. So they're, they're going to try and move that a little earlier to see if they can mitigate those challenges. But on the sprint side of things, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I think like on the men's side, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's Claybo Valdness versus, versus Bolshinov. And I think, I think, uh, Pellegrino could be an outsider for that event as well. And then for the women's sprint, I think it's like quite wide open. And I wanted to get Keegan's perspective on that. I'm cheering majorly for, for Lampic out of Slovenia. I don't know why, but she's comes from a small country. She's, she's, everyone talks about Lin Svan and how good Lin Svan is and how good all the Swedes are. But I'm so excited to see how Lampic can do. She's a great classic skier, great technique. And it's a course that suits her really well. I'm also really excited to see the Americans too. Like I'm, I'm excited to see Sophie's had a, a challenging season after, after her success early in period one. Um, and it'll be really exciting to see Sophie in a classic sprint. It, it should suit her super well. And, and um, there's a lot of great storylines there, but I, I was just curious to hear Keegan's perspective on, on the women's side of things on the, on the classic sprint on Thursday. What can we look forward to Keegan? Yeah, well, I think it's it's worth noting a little bit just to take a second back in history that the classic sprint in two thousand five was the last year they only took top sixteen into the into the heats, and the heats were only four people. So, um, you know, for me, I, I finished 29th in that sprint, but that my day was done after qualification. So it's great to you know see see how um, that change to the top thirty has really progressed sprinting and opened up the opportunity for for a lot more athletes. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. I agree with you. I think it is pretty wide open. You know, last year, um, Lampich was on the podium and in the uh, sprint in Oberstdorf, as was Jesse Diggins. So, you know, you can't, um, Jesse could be, uh, we know she's in great form. She could be a threat. Um, Lampich, I think it's a great course for her, especially with, um, kind of a lot of momentum. And then that long finish stretch, Lynn Spawn's been pretty strong this season. So she's going to be, um, a threat. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I'm excited, I'm excited for Sophie, you know, I think it has been, um, a tough season so far, but she, her first world cup win came in Oberstdorf from 2016. So, um, a great day. I'm also excited to see how the young ones can get in there a little bit, you know, Julia Kern, um, Haley Swirbel. So, um, and then Sadie can't forget Sadie, you know, she, she, uh, has, has coming into this part of the season rested and you never know, um, she's got a strong double pull. So, uh, that's going to be great. And on the men's side, you know, I think it is uh, Claybo and Valnis versus the rest of the group, but um, you know, you never know. And the weather, hopefully things will hang in there. It looks like it could be a little tough. That's absolutely soupy. It's uh, it's crazy soupy. So it'll be really interesting. And uh, yeah, I think uh, one, one person too, that we didn't touch upon is like Mike, Mike and Kasperson Fala. Like she, she's been struggling with some lung issues earlier in the season and, and, you know, like hasn't had the season that, that um, she's used to, but I, I think it's, I think it'd be a bit trite to, to not add her name to the list too, because she's, she's the reigning world champion and she's a big game player. That's the reason why she has individual gold in, in, in the, in the sprint and world championship gold as well. So it'll be fun to, it'll be a, it's a great race. It's a great race to start the championship with. I think the sprint has a lot of excitement and especially the women's uh, the women's field most of the season has been really exciting, but the sprint especially. So I'm really looking forward to it and um, should set the table for a great championship. And you're absolutely right, Keegan. Like Jesse is in amazing shape, and this year she's never been classicking better. 
um, when she's had those classic races where, where things are clicking, like her technique, she's skiing at a, a better level than ever in technically. And that's important if it's going to be a, a soupy disaster, like it is looking like it could be, uh, here because you, you have to be, you have to have your weight right under you. If you want to have any sort of hope in hell, getting up hills in ankle deep slush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And good, good point about Fala. She is certainly a championship skier. Um, and you just, um, you just never know. And it's, it's a good course for her. I feel like she can come off a downhill and accelerate off, off the home stretch, um, better than almost anyone. So yeah, I can't, I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait either. And then moving ahead, instead of going through race by race, we just don't have the time for that. Like, but just, just, just like it, 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 the, it, there's a couple of themes, like, I really do believe this is the championship. This is Bolshinov's time to, to make good on a season. that's just been unbelievable. He has been, he made the decision to skip the last world cups, which is a great decision by him um, to compete with the Norwegians. And I, I think this could be, uh, like I've said in the past, that I'm such a dork that I, I was at the world championships in 1995 as a spectator <laughs> when they were in Thunder Bay, Canada and Vladimir Shmirnov just wiped the floor with the competition there. Um, and I, man, oh man, Bolshinov is just, there's not many chinks in his armor. I think, it, I think he's going to be definitely one to watch and the guy is hungry for an individual gold medal. So that's going to be exciting. And then, and then of course the narrative on the women's side is for me is, I mean, you have Therese Johag, who is, you know, she's, she's a ski, generational skier as well. And she's coming in hungry, uh, especially after getting pipped by, uh, by Jesse in, in, uh, in a championship event, um, in Falun, not that, not that long ago. And, and Jesse's in great shape. She's having, uh, her best season, no question. And, and it'll be really fun to see her. And then all the other women, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of storylines and I, I just think like much to what Keegan said a little earlier, it, it's just so fun when every, you know, I guess like Keegan and I know that from a different perspective because we were in it for so long, but we know intimately that these athletes are like, they've, they've, they've targeted their whole season. They've targeted multiple seasons to a championship, to an opportunity like this. And these athletes are going to come in, in the, the shape of their season and, and do battle. It, it just makes for, for very interesting storylines and, and always open for some, for some surprises. I think that's always fun at championships when, when you have some, some surprise performances at that, at, like the, like the Slovenians in the team sprint in in 2019 in Seyfeld when I was there uh watching it was working for Eurosport and watching that live I mean what a what an exciting team sprint that was and um who would have thought prior to that 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 Slovenia would get the silver medal in an event like that so there's uh it should should make for an exciting and exciting championship and I'm so curious with the weather because like it's nice now but Keegan you gotta admit you've seen Oberstorf but it's worse too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I've seen it, we'll I've seen see it at its last. best and at its worst. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me too. And uh, I'm just like refreshing the the weather app uh, on my phone like incessantly with Oberstorf because I'm like, there's no way this high pressure system is going to last the entire championship. I mean, wh- when is like the 20 mils of rain going to start smacking the that area of the world? But uh, so far, so good. So it looks good for the for the athletes and staff so far. Well, what's interesting is, you know, Seyfeld as a championship was really battling warm weather as well. And we feel like we're oh, yeah. back in this back in the same boat a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what teams kind of carried some learning over from that experience in Seyfeld, you know, probably wishing they weren't having to use it again here in Oberstdorf, but, but that may be the case. Um, you know, I think what I'm, some of the races I'm most excited about um, on the women's side, I mean, the, the 10K will be interesting to see, um, you know, Johag definitely, I would say still comes in as the favorite, but obviously some, some skiers are getting close, not only Jesse, but the Swedish skiers, Eva Anderson, um, you never know, uh, Frida Carlson struggled a bit this season, but she was so strong in Seyfeld two years ago. Um, so it'll be great to see that, you know, the skiathlon, um, everyone together in one pack, I think will be, uh, pretty exciting, but the team sprint, uh, in freestyle for women, um, you spoke of the Slovenians, you know, I think you, the Swiss have been on the top of the podium in the team sprint this year. U.S. can put in a strong team. You know, we know Sweden will bring a strong team. We know Norway will bring a strong team. And, you know, Russia has also been back at the top Absolutely. of the kind of team standing. So, you know, that race in particular is anybody's. Um, it's, so that's going to be really exciting 
And then I think even the women's four by five K relay, you know, uh, Finland, you know, losing Kurtu Niskanen to an injury just a couple weeks ago is going to hurt their chances. Um, same with Russia, uh, with Nepraeva having to step out for the broken wrist. Um, but maybe some whisperings that she's on her way back. So, um, you know, that podium for the, the women's relay, um, for the U S you know, they have not won a medal in the four by five at a championships yet, you know, knocking at the door in fourth and fifth, but, um, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see if they can, uh, finally break through that barrier. So, I, I think so too. I think it's, I think it's set the table, the table set for a great opportunity anyways, but uh, absolutely. Well, I know Devin, you're going to get up cause it's at a reasonable time. Keegan, how do you manage these weird hours to, to watch the world cup or world champs? <laughs> well, um, you know, world cup, it's been a, a little bit easier this season because there's been ways to find the races um, posted a couple hours after. So, you don't, you know, as long as you can be disciplined and not look at your phone and look at the results right away, you can right, still get right. almost that live experience, but at a reasonable hour. But, you know, for me, I, I, can't, I can't wait on these uh, world championship results. I think I'll be up um, in the middle of the night. And in particular with them moving start times back for the weather, it's going to push it into probably the like midnight 1 a.m. zone. Um, but, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to tune in with NBC for the women's 10 K and the four by five relay to, um, share some guest commentary. Oh, um, and, oh, no way. Awesome. Uh, That's great. And maybe a little bit with SVT as well. So that'll be fun to just be able to kind of talk shop like we're doing right now and, uh, and be watching those events as they unfold. Right on. Um, okay. Well, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Anything you want to add yeah. or we missed? Uh, well, I think one quick storyline that we we didn't touch on uh, was the young guys on the U.S. team. So Gus Schumacher will be skiing his first world championships. He did not intend to race the whole season on the World Cup, you know, but that was kind of the racing opportunities. And he has he's broken into the top 10. And, um, you know, as a as an Alaskan, um, I'm pretty excited to to see him do his first championships and maybe set the stage for what we can expect for some of the young U S men in the future. And Canada has actually had some great young results as well. So I don't, I haven't seen the team list, but Devin, I don't know if you can speak to uh, any of yeah, the young newcomers from Canada. Yeah, I think it's really exciting. I, 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 firstly, I echo your, you know how I'm the biggest fan, maybe on, well, not on earth, of course, because the Americans are pretty patriotic bunch, but I'm a huge fan of this young American men's crop that's coming up. It's so fun to follow along. So uh, give her pin a ripper boys uh, on the, uh, on the uh, women's side or sorry, on the Canadian side, like we have a it's fairly inexperienced team going to world championships. So I think it's exciting because it'll give them a chance to, to start their stuff and, and, and experience what this is like to compete at the biggest stage. You're in the bigs now guys. So um, it'll be fun to see them try and mix it up with the, the big dogs, but much to what you're saying, Keegan, we have some women that have just had some, great season like a great season so far that has been just it's been a real struggle like i've talked about prior on this podcast that the covid19 derailed um canada's <laughs> period one um but coming off that you had like especially like somebody in brown and and Catherine stewart jones super thrilled to see them in the distance races especially somebody in the 10k in the 10k skate she's had such great She's been having personal best performances a number of weekends now, which is so fun. And and Catherine has never raced better than she's racing now either. So the 30K Classic for Catherine will be super exciting to see. And then Maya McIsaac-Jones, it was in skate. She's a little stronger in skating in the sprint side of things. She had a great race by cracking the top 20 in, in Ullisholm, um, with, um in the sprint there. But it'll be a great opportunity for her in the Classic Sprint to see if she can sneak into the top 30. And then, like, much to what you said, Keegan, a lot can happen in, in the sprints once you just get into the rounds. And then and then Daria, I know it's been she's been just on the wrong side of Daria Beatty out of the Yukon has been just on the wrong side of of sneaking into some some sprint heats and that sort of thing. So I, I like cheering her on and hope that that uh, she's like you've said, Keegan earlier, it's fine-tuned a little bit and comes into the championship ready to rock and roll. On the men's side of things in Canada. Um, it's a little, you know, we have an inexperienced crew, so it, that's exciting in a way too, because we'll just, you know, the sky's the limit, but it's also, <laughs> the, the basement could be pretty long down there too, but who knows? So we'll just have to wait and see how it goes, but you have some exciting racers, especially, um, you know, I, I, I particularly, I want to say like, uh, Antoine Sierra, Tony, like he's been, he's been racing 
Um, <clears throat> OK has been a little sick too, and um, there's some great events for him in this championship. Rossi, my boy, <laughs> Russell Kennedy, he's had a couple top 30s this year already in, in limited starts, so I'm excited to cheer him on. And then, like, Brea Fritchie, all the guys, it'll be, it'll be fun to see them. Okay. Well, good luck with everything. Thanks, Keegan, for your time. Really appreciate it. And yeah, thanks so much, Keegan. Really good to hear your voice. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. And if you ever like you want to chat anytime, this is like an open invite. We don't open invite everybody. You have the open invite. You most certainly have the open invite, Keegan, if you ever want to just sit around and have an informal chat like this or that, that we'd be thrilled. Well, it's, it's super fun for me. Um, you know, like I said, I spent 20 years of my life dedicated to this and it's been, um, been really good to find ways to kind of connect back in and, uh, and talk shop and both um, glean what we can from our experiences, but also, you know, look forward to continuing to engage fans in the sport and push the young athletes forward. Great. Thank you. And good luck with your commentary. Yeah, good <laughs> Thank luck, you. Keegan. Yeah, for sure. Send you a big virtual hug. Keegan. See ya. Yes, likewise. Thanks for listening, and we hope everyone is doing great out there. Bye.